So uh, we're going to be going to Acts 2, like I said earlier, but let's review for a moment. The first three weeks, we talked about empowerment in the book of Acts. And the first first week, we talked about how empowerment, we're empowered for an advantage uh, that gives us an advantage as believers in the world. Then Pastor Jimmy talked about the Holy Spirit as a person and gave us all his names and how he brings empowerment into our lives through those names. Pastor Cameron talked last week about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how we are to be filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And today, I want to talk to you about being empowered for participation. Psalms 85, verse 6, none of your notes, but just listen to this. Will you, will you not revive us again, O Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? So you just heard Jagger talking about uh, their generation to be uh, ushering the next revival. I believe it's a multi-generational revival that's on its way. It's not going to overlook any age group. It's going to be young, middle-aged, and old, which includes me, and we're going to bring in this revival, all right? So when you read the book of Acts, that is exactly what was happening with the church beginning, a time when people were disillusioned with their leaders and their government. There were families falling apart. Abuse was rampant, and alcoholism imprisoned many lives. Sickness and disease was ravaging people's bodies, and there was no cure. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. He's killed. He rises from the dead. Over 500 people see him, and now 120 have been praying. People are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they, they, they speak with other tongues. And revival, I just want to say, was on its way there, and it's still on its way today. All right. Now, remember, the book of Acts did not have or did not end with an amen. Most of the other books do, but not this one. That's because this book is not finished yet, and it is still going on. It's a book of action, and you and I are the amen to the book, all right? So it's also important for you to know that God did not fill us with the Holy Spirit to have an experience, just to have goosebumps, but he gave us empowerment for a purpose, and he empowered us to change our lifestyles. So you, once you give your life to Christ and you're empowered with the Holy Spirit, you should never live the same way you did before. So we can be a reflection. That's the whole idea. You and I were saved to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. So we can live, love, and look like Christ. So our world will want Christ. He empowered us to live out our callings, develop our giftings, and accomplish his will for our lives before he comes back for his bride. All right, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. Say this with me. This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all that I do. I can be all that says I can be, and I can have all that says I can have. Today, I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay. Now, to be called a Christian is not for the weak. This Christian life is not a calling for the path of least resistance, but a calling to participation and multiplication. This is a life of giving and sacrifice, but there is nothing more rewarding. I want you to know that. In spite of the giving and the sacrifice, there's nothing more rewarding uh, on this planet in our short lifespans than using our time, talent, treasures, and passion to build the, to build what Jesus gave his life for. So let's start out here in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read at the end of Peter's sermon after uh, the 120 are empowered with the Holy Spirit, uh, and it comes in like a rushing mighty, rushing mighty wind, and they begin speaking with other languages. The city has swelled over 200, with over 200,000 visitors besides a regular population, for the day of Pentecost. And these Galileans, which were really like southern rednecks, okay? And which means they were a lot like Grace Harbor people. All right. And they start declaring the works of God in everyone's native language. So all these people that come from all different parts of the world get to hear the gospel proclaimed in their native tongue. And by that, they have everyone's attention. So Peter stands up with the backing of the 11 other apostles. That's what it says in the Message Bible. It says he stands up with the 11 behind him. And it says that he's empowered by the Holy Spirit and he starts preaching the name of Jesus. So let's pick it up in verse 36. This is what it says. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words, verse 37, pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? When you've been convicted of sin, when you've been told the truth and you hear it, the big question should be is what's my next step? And so they hear that and Peter replies in verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are the three baptisms we've talked about that should take place in every believer's life once you get saved. You give your life to Jesus, get baptized in water, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then it says in verse 39, this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued, Preaching for a long time. Underline that. That that gives me... Every preacher loves that line. Preaching for a long time. All right. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said... Notice you got to believe. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. This is the launch day of the church. You know, there's a lot of church launching going on these days. And I remember when we launched this church, and I told us, I just told people show up, you know, that, that we might have somebody here. And, and, and uh, thank God they did. But talk about, if you're Pastor Peter here, what a launch day. 3,000 people on the first day being baptized. That is what every pastor dreams for, all right? So 
What you and I need to know is there was fruit from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So this empowerment created a new lifestyle in all of these believers. So look at these verses, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves. Read that with me again. All the believers devoted themselves. One more time. All the believers devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And then a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill or the favor of all the people. These guys were giving everything away, and they were still praising God. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, to me, this is the clearest and most accurate description in the New Testament of New Testament Christianity. This is the only, this to me is the most accurate description you'll find. This is what God designed our Christian lives to look like, to experience, and to express. So let me give you those steps, all right? Uh, Three steps that we should all experience. Christianity should express, number one, changed by Jesus. This is your salvation experience. This is not just fire insurance. It's like, I need to give my life to Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. No, it's a life-changing experience moving you from your old life, your old habits, to a new life, a new resurrection like, like uh, uh, Christina did this morning. Goes down in the water, dies to her old man, comes up brand new as a new person in Christ, resurrection, and then proclaim it to your world, I love Jesus Christ. Then you get empowered, number two, by the Holy Spirit. This is where you're filled with the Holy Spirit and receive uh, an empowering to pray and intercede for others like never before, a boldness to tell others about Jesus like never before, and power to do signs, wonders, and miracles. This should be part of the Christian life. This should be the norm. And then you become, number three, devoted to building his church. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying uh, four walls or a building. I'm talking about you are the church. You are what God talked about. So this is our template. This is our model. And my prayer for each of us is that God would break off culturized Christianity off of every one of our lives, watered down stale Christianity that has made some of us bored, like she talked about, with church, with living the Christian life, and thinking, is this all there is? Let me just say, there's so much more to your Christian life, more than you've ever experienced. I'm telling you, God's got good stuff. Now, I just want to tell you a little, little about, about Lois and my story. There's a movie that just came out called The Jesus Revolution. And it's really a lot of what happened to Lois and myself in our, our last two years of high school and our first couple of years of college and our Christian experience. Uh, They call it the Jesus Freak Movement, basically. But it was really the hippie movement of the 60s 
or they were all burned out on acid and, and uh, LSD and pot and uh, free love and free sex, doing all this kind of stuff. And they all became, at, many, not all, many of them became addicts. And uh, so what happened is the, it, it, um, they, they didn't get their void filled through those activities. But Jesus came on the scene and millions of those hippies came to know Jesus Christ. And then it moved from there to the church and it took on the name the charismatic movement and it crossed over all denominations. I was raised Pentecostal and not much was happening in our neck of the woods and let me tell you why. Not much was happening because we thought we had a corner on the Holy Spirit. We thought we had a corner on God and we didn't like the other churches. They thought, we thought they should be like us. So we wrote them off. I wasn't allowed to go to any other churches that preached the gospel, but because they didn't, they didn't teach it like we did. All right. Just saying. All right. Then I meet Lois. Lois is a Methodist. It's okay, Lois. I mean, you know. Now, listen, Lois has changed my life. She, so she's in a mainline denomination. And, uh, the mainline denominations, not the Pentecostals, the mainline denominations started being rocked by the Holy Spirit. And Catholic priests and nuns were speaking or were baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues, which blew all of our minds. I remember talking to my parents, so what are you going to do about that? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't get it. Then I moved from there to the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians, and the Lutherans, and the Methodists, and it even touched the Baptists, and they got a little Bapticostal, you know? <laughs> it just began to happen. God began to move throughout the body of Christ. All the labels were stripped away that men had put on the church, and we began to see each other as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Our choir teacher, uh, director at Aberdeen High School, got saved. Then our band teacher director at Aberdeen High School, got saved. They were both Methodists. Lois went to that church. Then Lois's pastor, who received his training at a cemetery, I mean a seminary, <laughs> got saved. Even in all of his training, he never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he gets saved. Our schoolmates start getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Students at Grace Harbor College were getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Miracles of healing began to take place. Water baptisms in the churches and at Aberdeen Lake and Lake Sylvia, the Wainuchi River, and even in the ocean. People would drive to Westport and Ocean Shores and get baptized in, in the ocean. Prayer meetings began to pop up all over the place in homes and in yards and in, uh, in uh, parks and in churches, and people were hungry, uh, uh, not only here, but all over the nation, and all over the world. No matter what the condition of the world is, nothing is too big for God. I want you to hear this. Or nothing's too hard for our God. People were empowered to build his church, not to build four walls, but to reach lost people and disciple them to look like Jesus. And the great thing about the church, and if you watch the movie, I just... I just want you guys to know everybody here should go to the Jesus Revolution. Get something in your spirit. They, they got so big they couldn't have it in a building, so they put up a tent. And the next thing you know, they're doing water baptisms at the ocean, and people were coming from all over the United States to get baptized there at, I don't know, it was Malibu or wherever it was. Where was it? 
Pirates Cove, there you go. They, they watched the movie. Okay. And I want you to know, during this time, it was easy to share Jesus. It wasn't hard. People were open. Their brokenness wasn't being healed by drugs, sex, and alcohol, or even by the American dream. The empowered church was doing its job, and people were hungry and open. People were open to invitations to church and churches that preached the gospel. Uh, They were growing, and new churches were being raised up and birthed. This church became full of broken uh, people, and his salvation was healing their brokenness and healing their addictions and gave them a new purpose to live for. Lois and I fell in love with this movement. We, we fell in love with bringing people to Jesus and became part of his church in that way. We also got married during that period of time and then God had to work while we were getting people saved. We needed to get saved to get ourselves kind of in the way that he had to work on the selfishness of our own hearts. Now, last week, Pastor Cameron gave you a, uh, an illustration of what it looks like to get, to get saved. So he said, here's what happens. Here's our cup. It's empty. Uh, every person comes to Jesus empty. But Jesus, because nothing fills up but Christ. So we, we realize we need Christ in our lives. So we ask the Holy Spirit to come and save us. And he comes into our lives and he saves us. Then we get baptized in water. And then we get immersed in the Holy Spirit. So he showed how we get immersed in the Holy Spirit. And we go there like that. Now, here's the problem with the Christian life. We get saved. We get baptized in water. But here's what happens. I hope you can see this over there. We leak. That's what happens to all of us. We leak. And so I want to show you today how God took these disciples and gave them four habits that changed their lives that caused them to stay in revival for 70 plus years. And they did not stay empty. And I want you to know what, the, what should look like for the Christian life is we should live, it says, be filled with the Spirit. It means to be overflowing with the Spirit. It means that you stay in prayer and the Word and you stay so much with God. You can't run out because it's overflowing in your life and touching other people's lives. So that's what it should look like. All right. Now, let me see if I can find where, where we're at because we now... How many know... Well, don't raise your hand here, but... <laughs> I've been a leaky Christian a few times, all right? Now, here's what I want you to see. It says that they were devoted to these habits, I want to I ask you this question. What are you devoted to? The word devotion means this, zealous or ardent. That word ardent means glowing like a fire. It means fiercely bright, an attachment to a cause. So when you get into the Christian life, you all of a sudden get so glowing like fire, fiercely committed to the attachment of seeing people come to know Jesus and building his church, it changes your life. Prokatero is the uh, Greek word for devotion or devoted, and it means to persevere and not faint, to be constant, attentive, and unremitting, to stay committed. It means I have an, I, I'm in it to win it kind of attitude. I'm not giving up. And, and what happens, it says, uh, you're saying, I'm so devoted to this, I'm so committed to this, I'm so on fire for this, I'm not going to let the fire go out. So the devotion spills over, 
into your marriage, into your ministry, into your parenting, into your finances, and everything else you do for God. So let me ask you again, what are you devoted to? Some of you are devoted to the gym, and that's good. I'm not, but I'm glad you are. (laughs) Some of you are devoted to building your business, and that's good. Some of you are devoted to your football, basketball, or baseball team, and that's okay. Some of you are devoted to video games, which means you need deliverance. (laughs) Just just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't don't get defensive, you video people. Okay. But But here's the question. Are you devoted to the template of the New Testament church? These verses tell us how these things that they got committed to, devoted to, changed their lives and changed their lifestyle. So here's the first one to write down. They devoted themselves to four things. Number one, the apostles' teaching, which means a lifetime commitment to hearing the word and hearing your life or living your life according to scripture. So these folks were unrelenting and uh, committed to submitting themselves to the teaching of God's word. So how is your devotion to the word of God? How are you doing? You might say, well, Pastor Doug, I love my Bible. I love to read my Bible. I believe it's the word of God. But let me ask you this question. What happens when you read this word and it contradicts your lifestyle or your preferences? Maybe it contradicts your sexuality. Maybe it contradicts your gender. Maybe it contradicts your generosity or lack of it. Because if you dig in the word long enough and stay in the word long enough, you're going to find this word is alive and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And you will find when you think you are studying the word of God, it's really studying you. When you think you are examining the word of God, it's really examining you. Sometimes uh, when you open this book, all of a sudden the sword of the spirit will come out and it will uh, it will. The sword will stick to pride in your side. That's what it does. And what happens is you'll find out that when the word of God confronts you, confronts your preferences and your lifestyle, do you still love it? Will you submit to the word of God or will you deconstruct it for your benefit, which is real popular these days? And I'm amazed at how many pastors in different denominations are changing what the word of God says. I want you to know this. We love the word of God here. We are not going to change it to get your approval. And you need to know this. You need to know what you believe about the Bible when it comes to marriage, when it comes to divorce, abortion, gender identity, parenting, drugs and alcohol, sexual immorality of all kinds, prostitution and sex slavery. My heart is that you would be like Jesus, love like Jesus, look like Jesus, so that everybody you come in contact with goes, if that's what Jesus is like, I want to be like him too. Now, the Bereans, they were eager to hear the word of God. I want us to be like them. They studied it, not to prove Paul was wrong when he preached, but to make sure that the truth was sound and solid. Every week, you need to go home, take the notes. This is why it's so important for you to take notes. Take the notes, go home, study it, make sure it lines up with the word of God. If it does not, you need to find a church that does. That's what it's about, all right? 
Don't compromise the word of God. Don't bounce around with every wind of doctrine because people change this. Well, it doesn't really mean that in the Greek. It doesn't really mean that in the Hebrew. Listen, folks. You can just read what it says in English. <laughs> all right. Enough of that. So we're not going to change God's word, all right? Now, we will love God's word in this place and allow it to change us and not us try to change it for our convenience. Okay, but let me say this as well. And this is so important for the church. That's you and me. To know what you are for more than what you're against. You need to know that. We are, you need to know this. We are for broken people to be welcome in this place. No matter what their background is, no matter where they come from. My heart is to see people healed from guilt and shame. Uh, I, I talked with a guy this week who was in a small group, not, not in our church, but another church. And he brought, up, he brought up abortion in his small group and wondered what they thought about it. One of the leaders of the group uh, said, we, we don't want to talk about abortion here because it's political. I just want you to know, abortion is not political. It's biblical. The Bible is for pro-life. Now, here's the thing you need to know. People make mistakes. People have abortions. And so he, he kept pushing it. And after the thing was over, a guy came up and said, I haven't slept for years because I was dating a girl. He was married now. He's dating a girl. She got pregnant. <clears throat> and she wanted an abortion. He said, I gave her money for the abortion. I don't know if she ever had it or had the baby. But he said, I haven't slept in years. And this guy told me, he said, you can be forgiven. You can be restored. And the next day, his wife called this guy's wife and said, I just want you to know my husband slept through the night for the first time in years. Come on. That's what the church is about. I don't care what mistakes you've made. We got a God who forgives and restores. I had another lady come to me yesterday, and she said, Pastor Doug, I feel like God's called me to the abortion ministry in our church. I said, well, we don't have one. <laughs> and then I looked at her and I said, did you have an abortion? Now, this lady's been married for years. She looked at me with tears in her eyes. She said, <clears throat> yep, I had an abortion many years ago. I already had one child, and I didn't want another one. And, I, and, she, and she had tears in her eyes. And I said, you're the perfect person for this ministry. And uh, I said, you're going to be able to tell others how God can forgive and restore and heal broken hearts and lives from wrong choices. That's what it's about. So I'm believing God is going to heal. There's no condemnation for having an abortion any more than a divorce or anything else. We've all made mistakes. It doesn't mean that you're done. God's going to heal you. He's got a purpose for your life. So I want to see people heal from shame and guilt, from prostitution, drugs, and alcohol. My heart is for people to be healed from unforgiveness towards that father or mother who abandoned them uh, or, uh, and let go of the anger and the bitterness and the rage that has been consuming uh, their lives. My heart is for people to know there's a heavenly father that can fill your father wound. My heart is for you to know that you can be healed from that spouse who betrayed you. My heart is for every person to know there is a God who died, rose from the dead to forgive your sins, mistakes, and failures. I want you to know what will grow the church. Not changing this, 
preaching this with compassion and mercy and telling the truth in love. That's what changes it. All right. Now, this is what being devoted to the word of God really means. Here's the second thing they devoted themselves to. Fellowship, which is the Greek word for koinonia, which means community, doing life with other believers, and committing. Now, look at this. Look at this real carefully. Committing to the pain and process of building and sustaining relationships. You know what that means? You've got to love unlovable people. Turn, it, turn to somebody right now and say, I love you even though you're unlovable. <laughs> Some of you are enjoying that way too much. Listen, since the beginning of this church, we have been devoted to community, building community. And one of the ways we do that is through our small group ministry and through ministries that take place in small groups in different areas of the harbor. And, and, and some of them are topical. They have a beginning and an end. At this time, we have approximately 60% of our people involved in small groups. But how many know we need 100% involved? Now, the problem we have in our church, and I think other churches have the same problem, and that is we tend to gravitate to small groups with people we want to be with, which means we put the youth group in a little group by themselves, and then we segregate them into junior high, high school, and college. And then we have the college group, and beyond that, we call it CAB, college and beyond, and we put them in a group. And then we have a little age group on that one so that, you know, I have people say to me, now how far do we get to go into the 30s? Just come, don't worry about it. Okay. Then you put the quilters and the knitters together. And you put the fly fishermen, I'm just making up names now, motorcycle, and, and video geek, geek groups and all that stuff. All that to say is what we do. Why does that happen? Because we like to be around people that think like we think and enjoy what we enjoy. But that was not the case in the New Testament church. I want you to hear this. When the empowerment came upon the church, it began to break down every wall of racism and bias and segregation. And it, it brought people together in unity regardless of their interests and their backgrounds or their stands, status. Now, in the New Testament ch uh, church, it doesn't speak much in the New Testament about racism. It is inferred throughout Scripture, though, in many different ways. And uh, it's a problem we have as human beings. Racism is a direct result of pride. That's just all it is. It has been a problem since the beginning of the fall, and here's why. There's something in all of us that says, I want to be in this category, but you belong in this category. And, and we started way back in grade school with reading groups. Right. I'm like, oh, so the best, the best readers are over here. And the average readers are here. And those who can barely read or spell are over here. And these people over here are saying, I'm sure glad I'm not over there. Yeah. And these people over here are going... What am I going to have to do to get in that group over there? How can I get to the average group? And so we start learning right from there. We have status groups. We have all this caste system, all that kind of stuff. And you need to know, even though there's not a lot of evidence about racism, there was a caste system that was very strong in Judaism. It was, it was like this. Uh, if you were a slave, you didn't worship anywhere near your master. 
If you were a woman, you are not allowed in the living room of that house when the men gather to talk about the Torah and the command, uh, commandments or the law in any way. In fact, the women had to stay outside the house in the courtyard and even worship back there, and they didn't cross the boundary to worship with the men. If you were a foreigner, you weren't allowed to worship with the Jewish people. They were put in a whole nother courtyard. So there was a segregation in this casting system. Then the Holy Spirit blew on the church. And in one day, those barriers were broken down and, the, and it created true community in his bride. Now, now they're meeting house to house and it would not be uncommon for a woman to stand up in the meeting with a prophetic word and she prophesies over a rabbi who just gave his life to Jesus Christ. That just came to faith in Jesus. And it would not be uncommon for a slave to have a word of knowledge and lay hands on his master and pray over his master. It would not be uncommon for a Gentile believer to break bread at communion because here's why. When the Holy Spirit comes upon people, it breaks down segregation, racism, division, denominationalism. We no longer look at people and say, you fit here and you fit there. No, we're all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. We are one in baptism. We are one body. And the unity of the Holy Spirit poured out on that church. And because of that, you and I can love unlovable people. So if you came in here today and said to yourself, I'm unlovable, you're in the right place. Community is so important. I I was telling the first service, we had a youth group years ago. Uh, So Lois and I, when we got married, our heart was for young people. And at the age of 24, we started doing youth, and then we started youth in our home because we didn't have a building to meet in, and we had no furniture. We had 100 kids sitting on the floor in our house. Well, Lois, for some reason, we had new carpet, though, if I remember. So she made everybody take off their shoes. Now imagine 100 kids, 200 shoes placed in a pile. And one day, this guy came in, took off his shoes, and his feet reeked. I mean, it was horrible. But nobody knew for sure who it was to start with. But then we saw people start moving away from this particular guy, and, and they were going back. Now, so we knew who it was. So the next week, when that guy walked in, we had a gal living with us. She grabbed hold of that guy, took him upstairs, took off his shoes, took off his socks, ran water in the bathtub and washed his feet and gave him a pair of my socks. (laughs) And he was like a new man. And I said to this guy, I said, why did you do that? She said, I grew up poor. But there's no excuse to not be clean. So I told him, I said, from now on, every single time you come to youth group night, you take a shower, you wash your feet, and take off your shoes when you come in and get some socks. We'll give you some socks. I think she gave him socks and underwear, whatever else. But here's what I'm saying. is the normality would have been to not love him. But when you love Jesus, you love everybody. And it changed his life. All right, here's the third thing you can write down. Radical generosity. They were committed, devoted to radical generosity. They shared their homes, their meals, and they liquidated assets to provide for those who were in need. And, and it just continues throughout the whole book of Acts. 
you can see there were no, it says in Acts 4, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to distribute to those in need. Now, you need to know this. That's not mandated socialism. That's just listening to the Holy Spirit telling you when to give and how to give and who to give to. And I just want to say this. There's no such thing as a stingy, spirit-filled Christian. When the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you cannot help but meet other people's needs if God's given you more than you need. And, it, and what happens is it, it begins to change people's lives. It changes the community. From the very beginning of this church, we, we've said, Lord, help us to live generously. Help us, Lord. And, and I just want you to know, this church has a reputation for helping in the community. We have people from all over the world that have given us money. We have people that have blessed us beyond, and they've moved away. They've been in this church, God said, moved away, and they still give us money. And it blows my mind because we made up our mind we will always be a church that lives with an open hand. We've got to. We've got to meet needs. That's what God did and wants to do through all of us. We want to bless people. We want to reach our city in every way possible and tangible ways. And lastly, they committed to the Lord's Supper. That means keeping Jesus and the cross at the center of it all. And we try to do that the first Sunday of every month. But you know what? We should be doing it every single day, keeping Jesus at the center of it all. And I just want you to know that if you ever forget that, if you ever forget that it's all about Jesus, it's all about the cross, it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's never been about the building. It's never been about the lights and the production. It's about Jesus and keeping him in the center of everything in your life. And when you do that, you will last. If you'll do these four things, I'm not kidding you, devoted to him, you will be empowered for participation for the rest of your life. I'm not kidding you. It'll change you, your family, your city, and everybody else you get in line with or you get around. There's nothing like it. So let's stand. I want you to know that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit created spiritual disciplines in the lives of these new believers. And these four I gave you, these four, if they'll just become part of your life, I'm going to be committed and devoted to the Word of God. I'm going to be devoted to radical generosity. I'm going to be devoted to fellowship. I'm going to be devoted to communion and keeping the cross in the center of my life. I'm telling you, revival will come and revival will stay. So let's review just for a moment, connect the dots. Because the fruit of this revival comes in the last words of this chapter. It says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Not each week, not each month, each day the Lord added. So how did it start? Connect the dots. Starts out with repentance, then salvation, then water baptism. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They're in the Word every day, and then they worship and pray every day, and then they're in each other's homes sharing meals together, and the outflow of that fruit is people are coming to Jesus 
every day of every week. That's what I long for in our church. Don't you? Come on, that's the kind of church we want. Now, I want to do two things. I know I've gone a little long, but that's the way it goes. That's typical for me. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know where you're at with the Lord today, but you're not here by accident. I'm telling you today, you might have thought somebody brought you here, but Jesus brought you here. And maybe you've wandered away from God or you've never known the Lord. If that's you today, I'm asking you to be strong, courageous, because it takes guts to be a Christian. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now. Say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Raise him high. Don't hold back. Keep him, keep him up there. Don't care what anybody else thinks. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Come on. That's what we want. Come on. All right. Now here's what we're going to do. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes, all my failures. Come into my life and be my savior, my Lord, my boss, my friend, and my king. And by your grace, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Come on. All right. I know I'm running a little bit long, but here's what I want to do. I want to take a few minutes, like the Lord said, open the altars for believers. And here's what I felt like the Lord said to me. Open the altars because every, every revival starts with repentance. And I felt like the Lord said, give them a chance to repent from lukewarmness. Now, lukewarmness isn't something blatant out there that everybody goes, oh, yes. No, it, it means this. You love Jesus, but you love other things too. And what it means is you're saying today, God, forgive me for loving this, 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 and this more than I love you. So today, I want to open up the altars. We sing this last song for you to be able to come and say, God, forgive me. Let's make it an altar of repentance. Forgive me for loving the world more than I love you. Let's do it. Let's flood this place. Let's start a revival, folks. This is where it begins. All with giving it to the Lord. And God will change our lives. Thank you, youth. Thank you, everybody. Let's, let's sing.